a young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. Hello and welcome to Missions and Visions. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. Twenty years ago, most mainstream scholars would tell you that capitalism, along with Western liberalism, was this triumphant form of government. It was quote-unquote superior. There is no alternative is a favorite quote from Margaret Thatcher, late British Prime Minister, which describes her belief that there is no better model than capitalism and that economic liberalism must push back against communism and socialism. Now, American scholar Francis Fukuyama's famous assertion of the end of history echoed Margaret Thatcher's optimism. Then came China, a gravity-defying case which sustained stellar economic growth rates and social improvement without copying Western political system wholesale. Now, the organizing principle of this stellar growth of China and this development has been encapsulated recently in what Beijing calls the whole process people's democracy and Chinese path to modernization. What do they really mean? Here with me are Associate Professor Xia Lu from the School of Marxism Studies at Renmin University. He will help walk us through these political jargons. And also here in the Beijing studio is Enoch Wong from Hong Kong, China. He's a senior advisor at online education and international cooperation at Tsinghua University. We'll also be talking to Ivan Kozinets, a Russian young scholar currently majoring in international law at Nimbo University. And also his schoolmate, Aisha Zahid, a Pakistani scholar majoring in aquaculture. Now, welcome to all of you to this special program. Uh, Professor Xia, let me start with you. Uh, how would you compare and explain China's, you know, this whole process, people's democracy. Uh, how do you think Chinese-style democracy has, has fared, uh, all things considered, over the past 20 years, especially if you compare it against the Western models? Thank you very much for the question. In my opinion, actually, uh, the whole process, people's democracy, may have two dimensions. First of all, uh, this kind of Chinese democracy has, uh, you know, broad kind of, uh, you know, scale. It covers not only the election, it covers the decision making and the supervision and even the management. So that's the kind of we can understand this for the first dimension. The second dimension, you know, actually just, uh, you know, speak of the real essence of democracy or the political, let's say, process. So the politics of democracy actually should be understood as a process. That, that means there should be a long period of development, a long period of evolution. So the China's whole process, people's democracy, does not only talk about the present time, it talk, talks also about the future, you know, the future goal. So we can argue that the whole process, people's democracy, really touches the, you know, really touches the essence of uh, the political you know, participation or the people's political activity. Yeah, because democracy uh, literally means uh, people rule yes. or people rules. Yes, and yes. Uh, a underlying assumption is that people should be well informed, they yeah. should be well educated. Um, and many Western scholars even admitted that the, the underlying principle of democracy uh, should be a educated, a well-educated citizenry. Right, right, right. So, um, if we talk about the whole people's, uh, I mean, the whole process, people's democracy, we can also see that uh, the Chinese version of democracy has a broad meaning. Then, you know, more broad meaning than the Western, you know, uh, understanding of democracy. Because when we talk about democracy in a Western, let's say, uh, setting or the condition, and they mainly talk about or they mainly refer to uh, the election. 
and especially the national level election, or maybe the election of the of the members into the legislature. So they call this as a democracy. But if, if we talk about you know the government business or the government let, let, let's say decision making, they would call this executive or administration. So so they have a very strict and narrow understanding about politics, about uh, democracy. But here in China, you know, we have more broad understanding about democracy and even the politics. So we consider um, the business in legislature and the business in executive both or even the business in the you know um, grassroots governance level or are uh, the, the fear of politics yeah, Enoch uh, you studied in many places uh, both uh, in the Western world and here in Asia how would you compare the Chinese style democracy versus those of the West I couldn't agree more with what professor Sa has mentioned that I think the West focused a lot more on procedure focus a lot more on election as opposed in I think in China in general focus a lot more on results uh, focus more on whether the democracy actually works in improving the standard of living of people. For example, uh, while I was studying in China, I had opportunity to travel across different places in China. And I think one of the most well-celebrated achievement of China is lifting millions of people out of poverty. And I think uh, it's, a, it's a great result of democracy in the sense of actually improving the standard of living in a very targeted approach, in an approach that works, in an approach that is sustainable. Or for example, last year, I think uh, a very, very well-known event is you know, China hosting uh, the UN Biodiversity Conference. It was a great success in improving not just standard of living in China, but also in other places in the world. And I think that's also a great example of China's path to modernization in the sense that it's moving beyond just numerical growth, but in terms of quality development as a whole in a country. I think this is a lot of different examples that we can look into in, in actually understanding better about the results of democracy itself. Yeah, it's about uh, electing or having a government that, that actually delivers, right? Um, Yvonne, uh, in Ningbo, Zhejiang, what is your understanding of the whole process of people's democracy? Uh, well, first of all, I want to uh, note that it is like a very unique system in our modern world. And uh, I see that over decades, as I also made some small researches, uh, the electoral law of National People's Congress and local People's Congresses have been amended progressively. And I also can't agree more with uh, uh, the previous speaker said uh, in Chinese system, not the elections themselves matter, but the results. Because unfortunately, in Western countries, we can see a lot of political figures going to elections and breaking their promises right after they've been elected, yes, right after they drink a champagne. Uh, but in China, it's different. And I see that everyone here do really cares about results. And we also see that the, in the whole uh, election process, uh, people from various uh, structures level, structural levels can get there. So starting from community level, yes, village level, over up to the national level. That is really brilliant. Aisha, what do you think? Recently, you went to a, a local legislature in Ningbo, right? As I, as far as I'm understood. Uh, in my opinion, yes, I went to the uh, Ningbo Municipal Committee Congress and what I observed that the democracy overall is the process in which the common man can also give their uh, opinion about the legisl legislation or law building. And what I also observed that uh, the most democratic practices is that 
nowadays you know china is going towards the modernization and even taking steps toward the modernizations especially in the field of science and technology and uh, also they are working for the poverty reduction and stability of the country and uh, i think that is the um, uh, result of the democratic practices that is going on in the country right now so that's what i observed during that period when i went to visit the people congress yeah, yeah i uh, coming from the, the pakistani perspective uh, we understand that uh, there are dozens of parties uh, many have mm -hmm. seats in the pakistani uh, parliament. Uh, it is very. Uh, it's a growing democracy in Pakistan. I had the pleasure of visiting your country in 2011. Um, how would you uh, really uh, compare the, the democracy here in China versus uh, the governance style uh, in Pakistan? What I want to say that the democracy is have or actually the same meaning in all over the world. But the difference comes when there is the ruling party have different authorities and there they need to implement the laws accordingly or properly. So yes, there is a difference from country to country, like uh, some country maybe uh, have uh, good ru ruling parties or they have uh, more uh, like intelligent people in the authority, like they are making legislation uh, from, the, uh, from the actual field where the people are working. So basically, there is a big difference in both countries' democratic values. Um, I think so. Mm, so in the field of technology or in the other fields, yes, I, I observe there is a big difference between both of the countries' democratic practices. Like in some countries, the ruling party gives most of the, like my colleague Ivan said that, uh, they ask many things when there is the time of election, but they don't do many things, but they promises with the common people. So I think that's the difference. But in my country, it's also going toward the upward right now because most of the uh, like uh, qualified people now coming into the government and they are taking charge of, uh, of government. So I hope so in future, the democratic values in my country will also increase. Yeah, Ivan, uh, you lived in China for quite a while. Um, specifically, what practices uh, in, in your daily life that you would consider democratic uh, by living here in China? Well, actually, it is quite a broad term for democratic uh, actions. I would like to share my impression, mostly by visiting the People's Congress in Ningbo uh, municipality. So. For me, like the best way to uh, truly implement dem democratic, also in terms of voting in favor or against some political decisions, is to ensure that the process of voting will be uh, mostly protected from any, you know, from any intrusions or from any influences from other interested parties. And I see that here uh, in People's Congress. On the example of Ninbo municipality, the voting system is anonymous. So while voting, uh, no one can really see how to vote, and that is really nice, uh, like psychological relief for representatives that they can uh, actually vote for that that they uh, really needed, not for that they've been, you know, uh, offered or in other way influenced to vote for. They can truly express themselves. All right, uh, Professor Xia, you know, there are so many criticism alleged against the Chinese uh, system, 
uh, like it or not. Uh, many say that uh, China is not practicing Western-style democracy in that mm. there's no universal suffrage, for example, mm. every four or five years. Mm. And uh, the media are not assuming a, a watchdog role as aggressively as their Western counterparts. Um, uh, no monitors from the EU or the United States when it comes to local elections. Uh, how would you respond to those uh, you know, Western allegations? First of all, we need to uh, admit that uh, different uh, you know, people should have a different understanding about the, the real essence of politics. You know, politics does not, does not only mean you know, to follow a certain simplified version of how to elect people, how to elect representative from the people to the legislature. Politics means to deliver good governance to the society. You know, we need to um, admit that the, the democracy, of course, is the common value of the of the mankind, of the human being. However, the way, the path to deliver the good politics, or the way, the path to realize the good politics, should be different and should be, let's say, in a variety. You know, because this world is is a various. So, well, if someone would criticize Chinese political system, is not like what Western are doing or what Western society are processing. That means that they have only a simple or single or we can say that uh, you know a uh, very simple understanding about uh, what is democracy what is politics but uh, politics should be complicated um, politics uh, well actually is complicated and we should have a different version or different path to realize the you know um, uh, the essence of politics that means to bring the good to the society to bring all the people you know into the public affair you know. well, what do you make of the fact that um, there are a lot of stereotypes against the Chinese system uh, and especially politicians are leveraging on this uh, to, to really uh, hype up uh, the China uh, fear-mongering. Mm -hmm. For example, recently the United States has set up this uh, select committee mm -hmm. on uh, strategic competition mm -hmm. between the United States mm -hmm. and the Communist Party of China. Mm -hmm. they, they did not say between the U.S. and China, but mm -hmm. between the U.S. and the Chinese Communist Party. What do you make of this kind of political uh, jargons and political phrases being used? Um, the elites, American elites, they have a very deep bias understanding about the word the communism and the result of a communist movement and even the communist ideology. So we can say that when we look back to the history of the Cold War, the second half of the 20th century, right? So, you know, not only in the journalism, but also in academic world, academic community, well, there was a very strong, let's say, bias understanding or also bias. Also pop, pop culture, right? The yeah, Soviets yeah, yeah. coming, the, the posters, yeah. the Hollywood movies, Ronald Reagan playing this, uh, you know, who, who is a commie, who is a, who is a, a citizen yes, commercial. Yes. Exactly. But there was a subfield in comparative politics. That was my major. In a subfield in comparative politics, it is called the comparative communism studies. Okay. So in this subfield, the scholars tried or made their effort, made their attempt to, 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 to introduce what the communist system was or what communist ideology uh, would like to bring about to the you know, society, to, to the people. There would be some kind of su success. And there, they also admit that there would be some kind of failure, right? So what well, people should know what communism is, what, what the communist system is, but deeply you know, in the American society, they have very deep bias understanding about what you know. They fear the communism, like they fear some kind of uh, you know bad animal or negative image or something like that. So, still in the you know the American uh, politics or in the national level, they still have this kind of strong bias understanding, negative understanding of communism, and they would like to add this kind of uh, negative image to China, to 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 what China is now doing, what China is now pursuing, and what CPC is now pursuing, like the whole process, people's democracy, and they would like to say, okay, this is not 
what we understand as democracy, because they only understand democracy as elect people or elect representative to the House or to the Senate, and then let those people you know, decide everything. So that does not mean democracy. Democracy means that you should really let people understand or let people you know, get involved in all the process of the political affair, public affair, not only in the election, but also in the decision making, but also in the policy implementation, also in the policy re-evaluation. So all these kind of things, not only national level, but also you know, the provincial, state level, and even grassroots level. So it is a whole process, and it is a complicated. Thanks for these clarifications. Yeah. Uh, Enoch, how would you see the uh, form of government, uh, be it socialism or uh, Western-style democracy uh, or multi-party elections, versus the effectiveness of governance? Uh, mm. Which do you think is more important at the end of the day? I think the West focuses on the politics of fear. And that's why they need to create, constantly create an enemy um, in, in the sense that it's not actually constructive. And they rely on you know, having an enemy to succeed. And, and then another word that you mentioned is competition. I think competition is good, but, but unhealthy competition and having competition for the sake of competition, that doesn't work. And, and the way that I see in China is, is a very collaborative approach. For example, at this moment, we're having the two sessions. One of the conference is a Chinese National Political Consultative Conference, and it's a very collaborative approach. And, and let's not forget, Communist Party is a ruling party, but it's not the only party uh, that exists in China. Uh, different parties work on a very collaborative approach, in a consultative approach, to work to progress the country, to progress development. And I think this is an approach that have worked and deliver democracy. And, and what, I think one of the colleagues, one of the scholars mentioned I think the West focuses a lot on making promises, but, but the way that I see in China is about delivering promises. Um, and, and, and I think this, uh, I think, let, let, let's just say, let the results speak for itself. Uh, and I think uh, for, for the past, you know, in, in, you know, two years ago, we celebrated the centennial of the Communist Party. I think this is a, a, a testimonial that this system works. Uh, and, and as Professor Sam mentioned, it's a process. Uh, and, and that is, we, we never claim it's perfect system, but it's a system that works for this country. You know, you, you talk to so many friends from around the world. Uh, what are some of the more common questions that they have against you, um, you know, when it comes to China's political system, and how would you answer them? I, I think the, the, one of the most common questions is, is whether, um, you know, having a single party works and whether it self-corrects itself. Because I think the West rely on the idea that because there is different parties competing against each other, that's why it's accountable. But I think we have seen, for example, in the past several years, for, let, let's take the example of the pandemic. I think we have seen in China that the reason why we have successfully, you know, addressed the pandemic issues is because you know, different layers uh, from the grassroots all the way to national level, people are accountable to the promises that they made and the policy that they made. And, and, and when things don't work, um, you know, people are accountable, people are hold accountable to them. And then, you know, different people uh, move up or down the ladder. Where in the West, we have seen, you know, thousands and millions of people have, have died because of the pandemic, but yet no one is accountable to, to, to the decision that they make and the promises that they made. Uh, Yvonne, in Ningbo, let me go to you. So recently you went to this uh, local legislature. Um, what impressed you the most? What did you see? What did you observe? So first of all, I observed a highly organized system. Yes, how the process is being initialized, how uh, transparent is uh, everything here, and I also can see, for example, on some uh, official reports, 
uh, of uh, Chinese researchers, maybe for example, Academy of Contemporary China, uh, some others, and so you can see a high level of uh, transparency actually, so that every Chinese uh, person, a Chinese citizen, knows what's going on, what uh, results have been gained, and that is. Uh, truly nice because for me the greatest maybe fear is the lack of information but i see here this uh, uh fear yes is eliminated absolutely so it is very uh, nice to see this kind of transparency of results and decisions uh, there is also this yeah. important concept of chinese path to uh, modernization beijing believes that uh, the west does not uh, monopolize the narratives when it comes to uh, approaches, systems towards modernization. Uh, China is certainly entitled, in its opinion, to explain and uh, elaborate on its own approach. Uh, what is your understanding of this Chinese path to modernization? We talk about the modernization. The most important thing I am observing, you can see in the field of science and technology, most of the scientists are working um, like very uh, hardly for to fulfill the demands like me being i am also a scientist i'm also working for fish disease so i'm also working in china so at the moment i want to appreciate all the um, all the uh, people who are working at the moment uh, to work for the modernization of china third of all uh, basically it's all about in the government hand like all the system never be perfect, but the government is making the system perfect and try their best. Last time, what I observed in that meeting where we participated, that the government system is very clear and they are trying their best to make the country more modern, more civilized, and also giving the opportunity to the civil people to participate in making legislation or laws, or they are all also helping them to implement. Uh, Professor Xiao, what do you think? In what ways do you think the Chinese pro approach uh, uh, can be maybe shared and uh, you know, learned by uh, other parts of the world? Well, when we talk about uh, uh, modernization and Chinese style of modernization, we should admit that uh, there are some kind of similarities between the Chinese version of modernization and the, you know, uh, the general understanding of modernization. However, there also be some there 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 are also some kind of difference. Well, we talk about the similarity first. Uh, modernization, of course, means the improvement of infrastructure, improvement of people's livelihood, and the you know the more and the more convenience of people's livelihood. That is the modernization, and even urbanization, and even the increase of literacy. However, Chinese version of modernization is more concerned about the effect, especially the side effect of the modernization. That is the modernity. So this kind of modernity, one of the you know um, dimension of the modernity is the sharp contrast between the the, the, the haves and have not, the poor and the you know and the rich. So you know in the first place, when China launched the Chinese version of modernization, it 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 it, it says clearly in the you know the twentieth national, uh, I mean the report of the twentieth party's congress said that uh, you know China should not go to that kind of old path of modernization that is more and more you know sharp and sharp kind of uh, contrast between um, the rich and the poor and also chinese modernization focuses more on the balance between the socio-economic development and uh, the nature and the ecological reserve so this is a kind of uh, chinese um well, this result from chinese traditional philosophy like uh, if 
you consider um, the field, I mean, if you consider the consequence of this process, and there goes the success. If you do not consider the consequence, there goes the failure. So that's the you know Chinese traditional philosophy, and we can say that this is what the uh, what rest of the world can learn from Chinese version of modernization. It's a systematic thinking about the social development. Yeah. But this, the government doesn't want to be too heavy-handed because right. there's a fine line between making sure that this is an equal society, it's a fair one, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. versus one that is egalitarian that exactly. China saw over the, the past decades in the 50s and 60s where the results were made equal, yeah. uh, whereby there are different instincts, there are different uh, talents, there are different uh, inspirations and incentives out there. Mm -hmm. So that is why, you know, when we talk about the Chinese modernization or the Chinese version of modernization, the party and the government still focus on, you know, the development is the first priority. First, we need to develop. First, we need to have some kind of economic growth and the improvement of the GDP and the improvement of the GDP per capita. You know, so first, let people have, and then to solve the question, you know, of the social inequality or the social, you know, gap. This kind of thing. So uh, that's why Chinese version of modernization is a complicated uh, project. You know, it encompasses a lot of things, not only about economic growth, but also about the social development, social equality, this kind of thing. Yeah, Enoch, uh, anything to add? What do you think? Uh, I cannot agree more. Right? Common prosperity is a very core part of yeah. Chinese path to modernization. But also one thing I think worth mentioning, 10 years ago in, in 2013, uh, that was when it was first brought up the idea of Belt and Road Initiative. Mm. So we will celebrate you know, a decade long of this achievement. And, and that was also a time when it was brought up the idea of global community of a shared future. So recently, uh, the Belarusian president visited China, and one of the key milestones or projects on that Belt and Road is the China-Belarus Industrial Park, the Great Stone. And, and talking about investment in high-tech, and I think the Industrial Park is a great example of investment of high-tech manufacture uh, you know, across the whole entire Belt and Road in initiative. I think this would drive growth, not just development, not just in China, better rules, but also across the whole entire Belgian role and the developing country, as you mentioned. I think that's a very, very important part. Another thing which is worth mentioning is this peaceful, uh, is this peaceful resolution and peaceful path to modernization. And I think this is a very, very important path that China has, has chose to take. Uh, and, and it's a very, very uh, distinction uh, between, uh, I think, China path and, and the Western path to modernization. Uh, I think last but not least, I think, uh, you know, we have seen tremendous investment, whether it's from climate change to biodiversity. I think that's also another special characteristic of China path to modernization is the coexistence between human and nature. That's another special characteristic of uh, China's path to modernization. Yeah, talking about China's uh, strategy worldwide, uh, many still assert that China is this aggressive power uh, or somehow that is the narrative. Uh, by Western mainstream media, um, you know, like it or not. Uh, so, so I think, uh, again, I'll go back to, I think the whole entire idea of Belt and Road Initiative. Uh, it's not about, uh, you know, having everyone contributing towards China growth. It's about creating this global community of shared future. It's about creating a, a community where all the developing countries can develop together. Uh, and, and, and China is playing a leading role in this, but it's, it's not uh, the, the, the role that is drawing all the resources from the rest of the developing world. All right, Yvonne, Aisha, thank you both so very much. Take care. And Enoch, Professor Xia, thank you both very much. And that will do it for this edition of Missions and Visions. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. I'll see you again next time.